Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. So we're doing a reverse podcast now where everybody's asking me questions. Um, Kayla mm. was the one who suggested this. Oh, good, I got your name right. Well, we should probably start with you, then. Oh, so oh, Tim, right. Tim had a great question, too. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your question? All right. So we're going to go in a round robin here. All right. Just because why the fuck not? So, Calvin, come back. You, you're being disrespectful. You've got to ask Excuse questions, me. too. I'm sorry. Sit down and, and ask your question. So, Cody. When, when we get there. Yes. Yes, Tim. <laughs> what are your favorite varietals from the Georgia region? So, Georgian varietals for red, Saparavi. Um, I really like um, how it manifests itself, and I've had different... It's very receptive to different terroirs in Georgia. And it's also very tannic. In yeah. case in point, I had a um, Saparavi from... Uh, Pheasant's Tears, not to be confused with Peasant's Tears, which mm-hmm. is not a winery, but would be very sad. But also a hilarious name for a winery. Yes, the Tears of the Peasants, but anyway. Um, it was amphora-aged. Nice. But it was still more tannic than most of the Tanats even that I've encountered. Oh, wow. Even after three or four years. So that gives you an idea of the tannic component of this grape. Never saw any of that wine, but it was just like so tannic that it just dried out your tongue. And I love that. And a lot of reds. Is that, is that you, you're drawn to re- really tannic wines, yeah? I'm drawn to really tannic reds, but also at the same time the opposite ex- extreme, very floral white. So my two oh. favorite varietals are Tanat and Malvasia. Oh yeah. yeah. Which confuses in a lot of people because like, wait, they're completely different. I'm like, yeah, I know, deal with it. Right. right. Um, by and large. Yeah. Um, but Saparavi can manifest itself very tannic. There's also one winery that does a sparkling rosé. Mm-hmm. Um, from Sakravi, which is quite lovely, and I can't nice. remember the name of it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I want to say Chateau Murkami, but I mm-hmm. could be wrong. Yeah. Um, so don't quote me on that, as you say, as it's recorded for posterity. <laughs> so <laughs> if I look like an idiot, I look like an idiot, whatever. <laughs> and that's the point of, of learning, is, you know, as Confucius says, the point of wisdom is knowing that you don't know what you don't know. But anyway, sorry. I have a second me. question. It just hit me. Because okay. Are you related to Jesse? Peterson. I am not related to Jesse <laughs> All right. Peterson. All right. Uh, as far as I know, anyway. <laughs> I may be as fond of curse words and use them as liberally as he does and love them like candy, but I am not related to him as far as I'm aware. He's, he's, he's quick. He's savvy. I was curious. Uh, but in terms of whites, uh, Mitzvani, which is often blended with another yeah. uh, white grape called Mich- uh, Riketsli. Um, Riketsli is the grape that's grown in Kansas that I'm going to be checking out. Nice. Um, That'd be cool to hear about. Once yeah, you get back I, 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 I'll be hopefully bringing back a couple bottles. I'm yeah. also going to be taking a couple bottles to trade, uh, mostly of DA Saval Blanc. Okay. Uh, because I know Saval Blanc is big out there, and so I know that that's going to get the most reception, the most interest. <clears throat> right. Is oh here, wait, you're growing Saval in Arizona? Yes, I'd like to taste it. Okay, here you go. Yeah. Now, if I brought Tanat or Tempranillo, they'd probably be like, yeah, we can't grow those here. We don't have a connection to it. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or they might be like, oh, this is interesting, but I don't want to trade for it. Yeah. But Saval Blanc, I expect a lot of reception for it. And, and, that, and, and, and the geologist that I'm dating, I, I'm, I'm torn if she's actually Malvasia or Saval Blanc. Oh. Um, because I know she's a white, and she's a, very, a grape that's definitely driven by Tawar and local geology. And both of those are grapes that I've encountered that are both very driven by that. But it's fangential. Anyway, Mitzvani is also often used in amber wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Georgia, and again, that's a style that I'm really interested in lately. Not because of the trends or anything, but just yeah, because yeah. I think it's really right. cool. And we talked about this actually yeah, in in the reference to the podcast. other podcast. Um, so those are the two 
two varieties mm-hmm. I think that I like the most from Georgia that I also think would go very well in Arizona. Yeah. Kayla, Kayla. your turn to ask oh, a question geez. on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ask me your questions, gatekeeper. I'm not afraid. I can well, ask him a coffee question. <laughs> a coffee question? Absolutely. Oh, no. That's, that's opening up a whole. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll Just talk a suggestion. about coffee the rest of the night. Um, now, here's one that I've been turning around in my head lately. Okay. Uh, are there any qualities in wine that most people would see as a flaw that you see as character that you enjoy? That's a good question. Smoke tape. Hmm. When uh, it's just barely there, it can be a really signature of that vintage. Case in point, the year of the slide fires. You know, Corey, for example, is talking about, ah, smoke tape, it's horrible. But I think that it's just there slightly enough that it gives that wine character. Um, case in point, the 2014, 2014 was the year of the slide fire, right? Yes. Or was it 20, yes. So I tasted the 2014 Cabaret um from DA. I haven't reviewed it yet, but I tasted it on the day that they released it. Hmm. Um, because, like, hell am I going to miss a Tanat release? And there's just that little bit of smoking from from that year. That's a, huh. that's a rascally thing, man. That can Which be like, it can get out of hand. That can be like bread. I mean, it can be, yeah. but yeah. when it's just there, just very lightly, it gives a signature of like, this is how the land was that year. Yeah. Yeah, there was a big fire nearby. Right. This is how, you know, this land was. Another great example is um, the very first Passion Cellar Syrah that we did, uh, the Syrah 417. Yeah. Was a blend of Syrah, I want to say, from either Bowie mm-hmm. or. Coronado. I can't remember which. It was a while back. And it was at Glomsky's because that was when we were, where we were working with Glomsky very early on. And we blended in just 3% of the Syrah that he had bottled and made from the year of the big fire in the Chiricalas. That was unusable yeah. otherwise. We blended in 3% of it and added this completely different dimension. It turned this one-dimensional wine into something that was absolutely amazing and three-dimensional. Oh, nice. So I think that it's something that, when managed properly, um, is less of a flaw, but it gives a wine definite character that it otherwise wouldn't have. It speaks, again, of the conditions of that landscape, or it can add dimension to a wine that otherwise was not there. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was a good question. Good answer. Very good question. I mean, good answer. Jason, your turn. Uh, you're on death row. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! There we go. What's your last meal? And uh, we're, we're going cyber. What do you pair with it? Well, you should have said oh, what's yeah, your last one. What do you pair with it? Yeah. yeah that's, that's, um, <sighs> that's a good question. I would probably go for something comfort foody mm-hmm. from my youth. Peanut butter and jelly, or um, so I'm thinking. Uh, weirdly enough, my comfort food is is orange chicken. Why this is, which is less of a mommy's or uh, of a mommy comfort food, but a seminary comfort food. So when yeah. I was in seminary for two years, the food was made by these Greek caterers that were absolutely horrible, horrible cooks. And so many nights, I would take one look at what was in the cafeteria, and go, "Oh dear God, no, <laughs> no!" And just my stomach would viscerally like. <clears throat> so I'd call the Chinese takeout comfort food. King Fung 2 or yeah. something was right. I would order their orange chicken and crab rangoons and and be very happy and be very very happy with myself and enjoy it and yeah. have good food instead of horrible cafeteria food. yes that meant that I was spending money that I really didn't have but it beat not eating at all and in terms of pairing I would have to pair it again with something proper I mean I could get you know the best wine ever to pair with you know to drink on its own but you don't want to clash 
So I'd actually probably go with uh, the San Reckoner 2012 mm. Malvasia with that. Because Malvasia and Chinese food, in that sense, works very well together. Mm. Uh, would definitely Mal- Mal- Malvasia would definitely be Arizona. Um, I guess if, if we have no limits, then I would probably go multiple Malvasias and bottomless orange chicken. Yeah. Probably from specifically that <laughs> restaurant. Such but a... you don't even have to go to death row. You just, you know. I, I could just go to Boston, but again, but why? Yeah. Why would I go back to that hellhole? There's a lot of depth to that answer. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I was going to do something different, I, I mean, I, I could do steak, yeah. uh, grass-fed beef. Yeah. Um, maybe that would be my second course. The opener would be um, orange chicken and, and crab rangoons with uh, San Record and Malvasia. Uh, number two course would be probably steak. Um, Probably as local as possible. I'm assuming I'm in Arizona's death row. So, because why would I be? Boston doesn't none of these, thi- none of these things are options. <laughs> uh, I don't even. I don't even know what crime I committed. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I would, for that number two, course two would be uh, steak, baked potato, something simple. Again, grilled Just, on the grill. Yeah. Um, light pepper rub. Yeah. And in terms of pairing, I would probably go. With either, um, I, I'm going to keep this Arizona with, with wine. Um, so I'm going to go with the, the Cabra 2014 Tanat again, uh, it for an hour right. uh, prior to this while I'm eating orange chicken. Got it's it. being decanted. Uh, the closing meal, <sighs> there's so few sweet wines in Arizona, so this is going to be a very difficult one. I've got some fun ones coming up for you. Good. Uh, it will add to the, to the collection, but yeah. I have to say the best sweet dessert wine I've tasted so far has to be the Sweet Lies Symphony mm. uh, from Pillsbury, and I would do that with a really nice creme brulee, uh, a side of uh, green tea ice cream, uh, and the, the Sweet Lies Pillsbury Symphony. There we go. That, that would be my death row meal. Wow. Good luck getting that. Yeah, I know. Especially bringing in that... Calvin, uh, your question could be, what crime did you commit? <laughs> <laughs> and it very well could be, because I'm sitting here, I'm like, yeah. fuck, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta come up with a question. Well, I, I didn't eat dinner either, so I'm yeah. just like, fuck, now I'm starving. We're all going, like, to, we're all going to Bossy after this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get some orange chicken, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Golden Dragon is probably got the best orange chicken in town. So uh-huh. also got the only orange chicken in town. But anyway, question? Question. So, with your exposure to people passing through town, Jerome being the wonderful, absolutely wonderful place that it is, and people coming in and trying Arizona wine for the first time, I love hearing people's approach, whether it be uh, uh, getting people to connect with Arizona and Arizona wine, whether you find that it comes through your story or you talk about a different place. What is your approach to try to help people in such a short period of time, while they're in your tasting room, understand your passion for Arizona wine? <laughs> well, a lot of people ask the question of how I got into wine in the first place. Yeah. Because that's a question that often comes up. We, we should probably start there. Um, well, that can be I'd like question. To I'd like to. Yeah. Um, so I often connect with that story. Um, for people who know wines and have never experienced Arizona, it's like, okay, so what European wine regions do you like? Okay, well, I like Rome. Oh, well, you've come to the right place. You're going to like just about everything we do. Or, you know, I like northern Italy. I like Sangiovese. Oh, Arizona Sangiovese is killer. It's the best I've had outside of Italy, which it is. California cannot really Compete. often do a good Sangiovese. I agree. Um, but Wilcox does a beautiful 
I mean, it's not anything like, well, it's, it's somewhat like Italian Sangiovese, but it's on its own thing. It's on its own thing. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. But it's very approachable for those who love Italian Sangiovese. Yeah. So, you know, for people, you know, more often than not, I encounter people who've never had wine, or they're coming from an era where there's only sweet wine, it's very difficult. And so, oftentimes, my first introduction is with whites, often with Malvasia. Mm. Because a lot of people, the powder Malvasia tricks them into thinking it's sweet. Yeah. Which it's not at all, usually. I mean, right. you can make Malvasia as a sweet wine. I'd like to see what it would do as a sweet huh? wine out here. Mm. So, it's nice. often with, you know, Malvasia as a start. Yeah. And it's very interesting. And another great example was um, there's a song that came through who was from the DC area. Delilah Poor was her name. Oh. I think she's like a higher level song, mm -hmm. has her own wine yeah. distribution company. So she was like, okay, run me through, you know, Arizona wine, tell me about, you know, how it's different, how it's the same. So, you know, when you're talking with someone on that level who's a song who knows wine, it's a little bit easier yeah. trying to connect because you have that. They have that knowledge base that can connect and fill in the gaps, and they yeah. can connect easily. Right. Someone who doesn't know wine, it's you know, pour me something I like. Okay, what's your palate? Yeah. Or it's sometimes you know. But a lot of times people don't even know what the palate is. Yeah, and so it's just like I kind it. of like fruity, dry, sweet red. Yeah. And it's just like <laughs> okay, fruity, dry, sweet. Fruity, dry, sweet. Okay, let me let me figure this out for you. Um. Yeah. Okay, here's. Yeah. 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 Oh, great! Yeah, you're a genius. Thanks you for know. suggesting that. You know, <laughs> and a lot of time it's guessing based on their palace what they'll like. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some people walk away and be like, oh, all the Arizona wine is horrible, or no, nothing here works. And then, which is like, okay, remember everyone else is doing a different style. Right. So a passion is very much Italian style versus right. Rhone or anywhere else, because we do a lot of Italian varietals. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so, you know, try Cellar 433, try Caduceus. Uh, try Echo next door because yeah, yeah. you know a lot of people malign John Marcus, but he really was kind of the godfather of the Verde Valley wine industry, right, right. Uh, for better or worse. And, and a lot of people shove his contributions under the rug, whether rightly so or not. But the fact was, he was there, okay. uh, and he brought Maynard and Glomsky out originally. Mm. You know, according to many of the stories I've heard from John Marcus, and John Marcus, and occasionally, right. you know. It's, a, it's kind of snap. unfortunate he disappeared in, in a way. Yeah. Or at least Echo Canyon was a brand that I was so familiar with when I moved here. And it seemed to have, like, roots. It seemed to have some legitimacy. And then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I mean, still, there's still the tasting room in Jerome, but still, you know, his oldest one, you know, 2003, yeah. 2004. Yeah. And people malign them yeah. left and right, but you know the fact is they're still part of the history. Yeah. And I like to direct people there because like he was the guy who had the third winery license in the state. In the state, yeah. You should check it out for history's sake and nothing else. Maybe you won't like anything. Maybe you will. Yeah. yeah. But check it out. Yeah, at least, at least. It's part of this whole history and pedigree. It really is. Because he was the, that was the first generation of Arizona wine right there. Yeah. yeah. Him and what's his name at Santo Domingo and Ken Callaghan. Ken Callaghan. You know, Ken Callion is the only one of these guys that's still really active, too. Yeah. yeah. And he's still kicking out beautiful, beautiful lines. Beautiful lines. Yeah. Very inspiring. So, yeah. Trying to connect it is, is an interesting endeavor. And it honestly varies from customer to customer. Sure. Sure. I find that, that, um, that a lot of the story, a lot of the draw uh, to Arizona is the passion that the people who are here Definitely. possess. And, and how much they believe in what they're doing. 
And the best way to convey that to somebody who's just peeking in through the window, someone, someone who's, who's in Sedona for a yoga retreat or to yeah. hike trails, and they you know, pop over to, to Jerome or the Verde Valley or to 4A and, and try the wines there. Uh, and to, in that short moment of you know, FaceTime that you have with them, to, to convey how we all feel about what it is that we do in the place that we live yeah. in. So it's... Um, Which I, is something that I, I found can be very difficult for some tasting room staff. Right. Absolutely. We've had people in tasting rooms in, in Jerome that are just like, this is this, or drink. Yeah, you know, you have to have the people that have a passion. Otherwise, they just can't connect. Right. Uh, and I've been blessed slash cursed with that passion myself. But people want to connect. You know, there's a lot of people. They who do. Really do want to connect. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that I think that that could be where the connection is. As much as the quality of the fruit is the love and the passion and the belief, the faith that the Arizona residents and people involved with the Arizona wine industry have. And can convey that to someone who's drinking the wine. I think that I think it translates into the, belief the, to the, the whole right path. Yeah. the whole wine experience. And I have to say, I think we're definitely on the right path. You know, even you know, I remember when I left for seminary. I left for seminary because my dream job in the Arizona wine industry. I believed in it even then. This is six years ago, well, almost seven years ago. Right. It's like okay, no one's hired, no one wants me. Okay, fine. Plan B, go be a priest. Oh hell no, coming back. Um, in those two years that I was gone. And it started to explode to the point where it's like, okay, I slipped in pounding and post page springs and bounced passion. Like, you know, I was out of the wine industry for a month, right. less than a month after I, you know, it's like, okay, this is a temp cake, we're done with you. Right, right. <clears throat> and so it's just, it's continuously growing, continuously becoming even better and better and better and better. Mm -hmm. And I've just seen that even since I've been working yeah. in the industry. And, you know, I've been drinking Arizona wine since I was about 22. What, what's your connection to Arizona? Uh, born and raised. Okay. Uh, so I was born and raised in Peoria. Okay. Um, That's awesome. Grew up in the Phoenix area. Went <clears throat> to my undergrad in Flagstaff, majoring in uh, history, minoring in religious studies, and uh, technically classics, but that program was axed. So I like to say that I minored also in geology, uh, simply because, oh shit, we need to plug in the laptop. <laughs> Simply because diver. Um, so you know, I like to say that I'm minored in geology simply because it's easier than explaining that I took a shit ton of geology classes because I really dug it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because people look at you really funny when you say that. It's yeah. like, wait, you're a what? Yeah. So uh, if we can find a plug here, wait, this one. No. There, that side. Oh, it's right here. Because it's like, no, oh, you have 7% nose. Oh, there's a space on that. Uh, nose space. I guess we could unplug the shredder. Yeah. We're, we're not planning on shredding anything tonight. Other than sweet tunes. No, just kidding. Did that work? <laughs> yep. Okay. We're good. Hooray! Crisis averted. Home to the next crisis. House words of House Burkett. <laughs> so, what's your favorite coffee drink? I thought that was going to be her question. Oh, geez. Like, she she, she can follow up to steering that. it this direction. No, I love coffee, so that's just mine. <laughs> well, for me, honestly, Turkish, Turkish or Greek-style coffee oh, is my favorite. Why? 
Um, because it's tannic as fuck. Okay. Again, it's got that really strong tannic thing. When I was in, when I was in, would you say you have a tannic finish? Arguably, yes. But then again, I have the whole Malvasia thing too. But my current coffee thing that I do in a French press in the morning is, I do three scoops of the New Mexico Pinion coffee, one scoop of Seattle's best dark roast, which is kind of shit, but it's dark roast, so it gets that tannic component, and honestly, a scoop of the Turkish coffee, a half scoop of that, so that adds that really dark tannic component. But you know that's simply because I can let it sit. I don't have to brood over it and tweak it for ten minutes to make it a true cup of Turkish coffee. Mm. Um, well, what, is the, what is this Turkish coffee though that you're using? It's the same thing as kind of a, a, a cowboy coffee. That same idea of how you make it is that you yeah, have it in yeah. a pot. And, well, but the okay. brand I use is I, I don't even remember the brand. But uh, when I was in Istanbul, by the end of it, I was drinking about three cups of Turkish coffee a day, and it was wonderful. And, and the the Turkish people were like. You're American and you're drinking through you're gonna kill yourself and I'm just like bring it on. <laughs> By the end I could fold space and time and end up in a street and visiting constant little. So it sounds like Whoa. you just like a little cup of jet fuel. Yeah, like, pretty much. Like, about as dense uh, uh, it's mouth body as you can. Yeah, exactly. I like things that have a big mouth feel when it comes to coffee. <laughs> like, I like in wine. I like, I like wines. I like I like I like the wines that are very expressive and I like coffee that's very expressive. Um, I've also noticed that whenever I'm out drinking coffee um, if I'm not making it myself or if I don't know how it's made, I will always add cream, hmm. simply to blur the taste. Um, but if I'm making it myself or if I know how it's made, like if I'm at Caduceus getting a cup, or if I'm up at Chad Nabby's at the Flatiron getting a cup, I never add cream because I know what's going into it. I know the, the history and pedigree of the coffee. You know, I know it's not shit that's mm -hmm. been thrown at me. Did you? So now your question. Oh, about coffee? Or wine, or just at me in general. About puppies. <laughs> about puppies. It could be about puppies. Anything. Anything, if you really wanted to. Man, I just had that, I just had that one good question. Now I know. Um, there are no bad questions, only bad answers. <laughs> well, you could steal the, the question that Tim wanted to know, which is how I got into wine in the first place. Sort of. Did you get well, partly it's the fault of my parents for letting me watch Frasier when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, there was all those wonderful episodes where they talked online. And it's also hilarious now to watch that and be like, and see how much it was bullshit. It was all bullshit. Yeah. But great references. But great references. To and it's like really a 1975 It conjured these beautiful. Yeah. It's like really a 1975 Montreux, a, a Chardonnay that old is going to be horrible. What the fuck? No wonder you got a great deal on that case, Frasier. <laughs> Because it's all fucking vinegar. Um, Niles talked him into it. It's okay. But, but partly that, but also the real Genesis moment was uh, a camping trip when I was 15. It was m the end of March. I think it was March 31st of 2001. And so I was brought along on these work camping trips with, with my dad and his buddies from the city of Glendale where he was a civil engineer. And... Um, Mostly, I was brought along to make everybody coffee and breakfast the next morning because they would all get entirely shit-faced and not be able to function until 1 p.m. Mm. So I was, okay, I would make them breakfast and coffee and make them functional so that way, you know, we could actually do fun things before 1 and I wouldn't be stuck in camp because my whole thing was like, I wanted to look at local geology, I wanted to look for fossils, I wanted to look for whatever. Yeah. And so that camping trip was in Seligman. And so my dad's crazy friend, Dan, said that he's going to make what he called spaghetti in the field. Now this is 40 acres of land in the middle of fucking nowhere in Seligman. So not even improved campsite. 
Jesus. And so he decides that he's going to make spaghetti in the field. So he literally makes the sauce from scratch, pulls out all these veggies from the ice chest that he brought, and crushes them, and pulls out this bottle of Chianti Classico and uncorks it, Good pours God. half of it into the sauce. Good God. Takes a swig directly out of the bottle. Then yeah, hands like it to would. me and says, here, Cody, be a good lad and finish this off. Um, wow. So I go to my dad, being a good kid, say, hey, dad, Dan gave me this bottle of Chianti. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, can I drink what's left of it? And he's like, you're under what passes for adult supervision. Go ahead. Yeah. So I pour it into a red Solo cup because that's what I had. And I knew enough based on watching Frasier and growing up watching that. It's like, well, if I pour this in the coffee cup, obviously the flavor of residual coffee in this mug is going to interfere with the flavor of the wine. So we can't have that. So I have a wine glass of soap, red Solo cup. There you go. So I swirl it in this red Solo cup, thinking, you know, my only experience with grape favorite things is Diamond Tap I've had. So I'm thinking, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to hate this. This is going to suck. How am I going to be this classy adult nerd like Fraser and Niles if I don't like wine. Yeah, but you're in a field of silly so, Yeah. I mean, so I smell it and I'm like, oh, this is actually really cool. Wait, some of those things that they're describing, which I thought were bullshit, aren't bullshit. There's like earth and spice and all these really complex components in this and this is not simple at all. Whoa, this is really cool. Yeah. yeah. And so I sip it with the spaghetti and to this day, it's still the best spaghetti I've ever had. And Huh. And very little people I, I've tried to date have said, oh, I can do better, and no, they, they haven't been able to. And part that's of it was that's just a tall people, order, though, you know? They, you know, part of it is that, you know, it's all been enshrined in memory and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And, but what really clinched it, though, was later that night, about 11 o'clock, we're sitting around the campfire, and it's slowly burning down, juniper logs cracking, burning, and crackling, and popping, and doing what juniper does in a campfire. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting with that last glass, just slowly sniffing it and enjoying it and sipping it. Well, you know, the guys are doing their last shots of whiskey and vodka and whatever. And, but at the same time, everyone's pretty quiet, listening to the owls and coyotes, and we're all looking up at the stars. And suddenly on top of us, these bands of light appear directly above us. Green and pink and red and purple. And it's the frickin' Northern Lights. And we, when we got back to civilization, and it was all in all the papers, and apparently it was the first time the Aurora Borealis had been seen in Arizona for like 80 some odd years. And so, you know. So you have to tag that onto your first one. So yeah. So here I am sitting watching the fucking Northern Lights wow. in the Arizona wilderness <laughs> in front of a campfire, drinking this Chianti Classic, which is why I'm so fond of Sangiovese, by the way, because it's That's kind so of like, totally you know, the very first experience with Sangiovese. Yeah. So Sangiovese always brings back these very fond memories and warm fuzzies. And so I'm looking up at the door of the lights going, with this wine going, fuck, did I just peek at 15? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking God. <laughs> sex is even going, sex is not even going to be this good when I finally get around to it. Right. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I did after that is I would save up allowance money and money from odd jobs and give it to my parents and tell them, you know, based on a wine that I was researching on Wikipedia, because Wikipedia has no age limit. Um, uh, you know, can you find me a bottle of a French Sauvignon Blanc and uh, a Napa Sauvignon Blanc? Here's, you know, yeah, yeah. $40 I've saved up this last month, you know, bring me whatever's left that you didn't use. Or if you see a Sauvignon Blanc from somewhere else here, and of course, my parents were at first very worried about this, 
And then being parents, they scooped and found my tasting notebook because they thought it was a diary. I was like, oh, this will be a great scoop. Wait, it's a tasting notebook. Hmm. He's actually like, ain't serious about this. So that made shit. it legitimate. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, we'll support him on this and, and help him with lines. And you know, I was also very into history at the time, and that helped. So I would read about different historical wines or wine trade in classical antiquities. One of my favorite papers that I did in college was a, a, a paper on wine trade in classical antiquities. So I you know, read about these wines and try to find their modern equivalents, which in Flagstaff was very difficult um, for obvious reasons, because, you know, it's Flagstaff. But, you know, I did the best I could with the wine loft and that sort of thing. So I was drinking these wines from their modern region equivalents or their closest I could find yeah. while working on the paper. And so it was made it very That's interactive. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of a question I thought of relating to your history background. Okay, go ahead. So if you, if you had to try any of the wines from any region, Persian wine, what would you try if you could choose a wine from Georgia? <laughs> well, actually, um, since the the loss of the the Persian wine industry um, due to the revolution uh, of the 1970s, I would be really curious of, of tasting a Persian wine just prior to that. Now, granted, it, I know it would not be my palate because supposedly the historical Persian wines coming from Shiraz were very sweet and syrupy. Mm -hmm. And dessert ones, but I would be very curious to that, and, and I'd be very curious for that matter what grapes are used because yeah. don't know anymore. Nobody knows. All of those vines are more or less uprooted. Yeah. Um, thank you, committee. Fuck you, committee. Um, for you being a glorious asshole. Sorry, it's not like I have a strong opinion on this or anything. Um, glorious asshole. But I would have to go for, for some of those Persian wines, which have been completely lost to us. A lot of those ancient Greek wines, we can find modern equivalents, or people returning to those ancient styles or, now. Weren't most of the ancient Greek wines, though, just kind of like conglomerations of just every Greek they had grown? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Um, we know, for example, that the the um, wines from Samos, where they're being made the same way today as a sweet dessert made from Muscat of Alexandria. And a little bit of a blend of another indigenous variety. I want to say it's Rodithis, but... No, Rodithis and one other one are... Retsina, which is another very ancient style, which I can't stand unless I'm eating gyros. Um, yeah, Retsina pairs great with gyros, but don't drink it on its own. Unless you want something very interesting. Um, it's worth trying once, but it's not my, my favorite style. Um, but, you know, in the case of, of Greek wines and Roman wines, a lot of those same varietals are still being used, often in different styles, but there's <coughs> been a return to some of those styles lately, you know. Well, I've heard rumors that someone was amphora-aging Ionica to try and make something, recreate something like a Flernian mm. style wine, um, which was their very famous, essentially the Roman first growth Bordeaux. Right. And also for, for the sake of the theologians and the honest, I would really have liked to have been at the wedding at Cana. You know, what was, what was the wine that Jesus had turned from, from water. What did you get from Death Road with Jesus? <laughs> Isn't that pretty common? <laughs> it is, yeah. For, for most people on Death Road? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. You know, you know, it's a very interesting question. Would it have been, would he have been making the best local indigenous wine, or would it have been like, here's like, because he's Jesus, here's a Chateau Patras, or whatever, you know. Because he's a, Jesus. Because he's Jesus, okay. here's the first growth point. I'm Jesus. Although I like the, although probably knowing the, the wine palate of people at the time of yeah. Jesus, which was more geared towards sweetness, they probably would not have been very fond of, of anything a first growth Bordeaux or anything we classify nowadays as good wine. Probably would have been considered like flawed or bad or something. In, in a lot of ways, or definitely very sweet and deserted. Yeah. 
which is very interesting to watch this progression in, in wine palates uh, over the years. Their opinion of sweet and desserty is probably very different than our opinion. This is true. They wouldn't have probably classified it as sweet and desserty. The they would have classified that as good yeah. because it was something that would last long distance trade. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the reasons why Sweet Malvasia was so popular in the Middle Ages, because it kept well, to the point where you could send it to England and there's your Malmsey that you're drawing dukes in. Mm -hmm. uh, gay Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Jason? You guys uh, asked all the good questions. No, there's more coming, <laughs> probably. There, there's uh, more. Describe your perfect Sunday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Does it involve Lionel Richie? <laughs> No. Okay. No, no, probably not. Sure. And what kind of shirt would you be wearing on that perfect Sunday? Which shirt? <laughs> um, well, it would be a collared shirt because it would probably start with church. Uh, I wake up early, take pictures of the sunrise, enjoy a, a good Turkish coffee before driving up over the mountain to church. Uh, go to liturgy in Prescott, which is where I go. Um, go to church, take communion. Um, Probably would be followed up by a picnic lunch up on top of Mingus. Good bottle of wine. Yes. Um, something that's picnicky and foody and, and ideally with, with the current girlfriend, even though she is very, very far away. Um, or alternating with the great girlfriend or both, because, you know, threesomes are always fun. Yeah. Um, and then return to Jerome, maybe have a good meal there. And just sit on my deck and just watch the landscape. Probably during monsoon season because I think that's when the landscape is at its most dramatic. Mm. Uh, so my, my perfect summary would be pretty simple. It would be church, wine, good company. Which is, uh, as the poet Omar Khayyam more or less describes, is all you really need. Uh, a, a, a flask of wine, a good a picnic lunch, and thou. Yeah. To paraphrase horribly because I can't remember his exact way of perfect phrasing it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Your turn again. Calvin. All right. Not wine related. Okay. Personal, don't have to answer if you okay. don't want to. <laughs> I'm fascinated by people who go to seminary. So, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from seminary? My biggest takeaway from seminary is don't go to a Greek Orthodox seminary because the Greeks will hate you if you're a convert. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> more seriously, um, what I got more out of seminary was more from my friends rather than any of the classes and this okay. camaraderie of craziness. and. All seminarians, at least in the Greek Orthodox Church, are complete and utter nerds. So it was the first time where I was around people that were consistently like me on a regular basis. Okay. Now, granted, they were a lot more socially awkward than me, which I know is scary to think about, uh, because I am pretty socially awkward in a lot of ways unless I've had a lot to drink. Um, yeah, it helps. Um, case in point, um, everyone called me Casanova because I would have a different date with a different woman every month. <laughs> which I'm just like, really? This for me is pretty good. How is this being, okay, yeah. whatever, yeah. fine, just, just whatever, non-smile. And just the takeaway from that is also trying to apply a balance between you know, church world and outside world and trying to find that balance. And that was the biggest takeaway from seminary other than don't go unless you're you know, rich in Greek to Holy Cross on a college. I, I hated my experience there so much that they are written to my will as they are to be notified that yes, they get something, but that something that they get is a dollar. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I hated that place. But the friends I made there were wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I wouldn't trade the friends that I gained there 
for anything. We ha and actually, honestly, while being in Boston, that was one of the things that built my palate was uh, Friday nights were exactly the same, had a routine. A friend of mine from the other side of town would come. We would go either get a burger or get a pizza at one of these two places, uh, Tasty Burger or um, Regina's Pizzeria. We would then go to the local hookah lounge where we would look at the flavors of hookah on the menu, think of the saint that was celebrated that week, and think of three flavors associated with the saint in our minds. Put that in the hookah bowl and ask for that as our hookah blend for the night. And so we came up with weird, fun blends um, that, you know, and it was fun trying to pick out for me those flavors and how they intermingle and how they intermesh. And I'm able to apply those experiences directly to what I'm doing wine reviews now. Right. And, and so that's one of the reasons why I honestly think, honest to God, I think my palate is as good as it is, was from those night, Friday night hookah nights. Yeah. And then what we'd do after that is we would return to the seminary campus. Uh, my friend Derek would pull out his stash of movies, and he had like the biggest movie stash of anyone I've ever met. And most of them were like Criterion Collection, like good mm. classic movies. Right. And so like, okay, what are we feeling? Well, let's watch something black and white. And, Let's watch something sad and beautiful. Okay, here's Terrence Malick's The Thin, thin Red Line. Right. Now, I'm a huge, I, that's where I encountered Terrence Malick as a filmmaker for the first time, and I'm still a huge Terrence Malick fan. Same with Wes Anderson. Yeah. And side note, if there's anyone that could capture the quirkiness of the Verde Valley, especially Jerome, in a film, it would have to be Wes Anderson. Mm, yeah. He needs to come out here and see this, this, this landscape. Yeah. Uh, to the point where there are parts of the Grand Budapest if any of you have ever seen oh. the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm -hmm. hold on. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, train of thought is very random, I know. No, 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 I love, but, I love uh, that film. The hotel in the Grand Budapest Hotel looks almost exactly like the Grand Hotel in Jerome. Yeah. That, um, I'm just like, has been to Jerome? I didn't okay, draw that connection, church. but yeah, I could see. It looks just the same, yeah, and here it is yeah. sitting on the top, top of a mountain. Yeah. It's just like, wait a minute, yeah. has he been to Jerome? Yeah. I, I wonder. think it just isn't as isn't that an amazing fucking film? God, I know. That's, that was his best work. Your hands right. down. I, I agree. I fucking it was agree. beautiful. I, I loved it. Agree. Yeah. I, I think I've seen that film like at least ten different times. Yeah. And I get something new out of it every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so. Last person, I, I finally got around to Moonrise Kingdom. And it was I still have not seen that. Oh. That's his only oh. film I've not seen. No. no. It, I, I was the same way. I had seen all of them. And the last one that for some reason or another I had skipped over was Moonrise Kingdom. And... Six months ago, uh, I uh, saddled up on the couch, turned it on, and was absolutely blown away. So, oh, yeah. yeah it, you, you I had it downloaded on my computer for a while, but it died before I, I no, could get to it. You got it. That, that's yeah. worth the effort. Go, go, go check it out. And, and on that note, I, I highly recommend Terrence Malick. Okay. It could be frustrating if you demand like a linear plot, because um, his plots are not linear at all. He, he tends to be a little bit scattered, but you know, obviously so am I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you like Jim Jarmusch at all? I've not actually encountered any of his work. Mm. What would you recommend? Wow. Calvin? Limits <laughs> of Control. Uh, uh, Limits of flowers. Control would be my first Limits choice. of Control. Okay. Absolutely there are people who appreciate earlier stuff that he's done, but I don't really care about anything else except that. Can I get some Malvasia, <laughs> by the way? Yes, sir. Was that, was that double espresso, two cups? Yes. Yeah, that's a really good movie. Coffee and cigarettes. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Those are just very simply beautiful movies. Like, every single scene is planned out 
What are some of his movies? Um, my favorite movie of his is hands down Tree of Life. Oh, oh. Which is this wonderful movie, which more or less takes um. That's crazy movie. It is, but it takes like the history of our one snapshot of life growing up in Waco, Texas, and it interposes it in the history of the entire Earth. Yeah, yeah. Which is beautiful because you know, being someone who's very interested in geology and deep time, um, to find our place in it, and it's just like. It's literally a story of our place in the history of the universe. Mm -hmm. My other favorite movie of his was the most recent one that he, he did, which was Night of Cops. Um, highly recommended, highly beautiful. And it's just, uh, uh, it's great. Thin Red Blind is another one, The yeah. New World is another one, Badlands, Days of Heaven. Um, there's a, yeah. another movie of his that I'm blanking on the name, Into the Wonder. Is, uh, uh, he's only done those essentially six or seven yeah. movies. Right, but, right. They're all stellar and beautiful and, and yeah. just very evocative. Hmm. But I, I've also encountered people that are like vehemently hating Terrence Malick because it's like, there, there's no plot, I don't understand. And sometimes like, well, when is there a plot in life? Yeah, but you know, it's just, you know, some of the best, most artful things in the world are that way. Yeah. That's the way Jim Jarmusch is, especially with Limits of Control. There's good luck, good yeah. luck figuring that out. Yeah. And good luck not getting frustrated. Yeah, good. Uh, that, but those things need to test. Yeah. Sounds like that I, I need to, to check up on, on his work yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, Limits of Control is definitely a highly recommended film. Absolutely. That, and, and I mean, it's it's not so far out there that it's not recognizable because I mean, right. you know, Bill Murray's in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, love Bill Murray. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, a reference back to, to Wes Anderson. I mean, it, it almost he almost takes on that same sort of uh, I guess his role as an actor as far as his career path. It's not it's not the strikes Bill Murray. It is the the, the Royal Tenenbaums Bill Murray. It is the Steve Zizou. Uh, it's it's that more serious Bill Murray, which is amazing. I, I like more serious Bill Murray. In all honesty, yeah. I guess that's your turn. Oh. For another question. Mm -hmm. Since Tim is indisposed at the moment. Yeah, now, now I'm just thinking coffee. It's like always the first thing that pops up in my head. Well, then ask me coffee questions. Uh, I guess. So what town are you looking in right now? What time am I looking what at? What town? What town oh, are you sorry, looking? I'm living in Jerome, actually. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. So, so all the all the coffee in this area is kind of there's only like one or two roasters that really yeah. supply. Yeah. Um, Fire Creek and yeah. What's the other one? Uh, Java Love and Sedona. Java Love. Yeah. I was really worried when when Starbucks opened up next to them because that kind of was upsetting. No, you know, Starbucks pops up around a lot of small coffee shops. It really doesn't change anything. I mean, people who go to the small coffee shops. Are, I like to stick local. Again, you know, wherever I am, I like to stick local, you know. Um, in Arizona, what is your favorite? What is your favorite? I mean, I'm sure you've traveled around, like, southern Arizona. Do you have a favorite roaster that you like to go to? I have to say, honestly, um, there's a roaster in Bullhead City. I can never remember the friggin' name. Uh, I actually have a friend who works there, which is how I encountered it. Uh, C.J. Kelly. Shout out to him. I don't no idea if he's even listening to this or not, but... Right. Uh, I can't remember the name of that roastery at all, but I really like that roastery. I like Fire Creek. Um, 
I've not encountered really many of the roasters down in, in southern Arizona, though. Um, but I know there's a few good ones. I, I, again, I, I welcome suggestions and, and direction. Uh, press is really good. Press? Yeah, press okay. coffee's really good. Uh, Cartel's kind of the obvious choice yeah. for Phoenix. It's, it's, they're they're kind of taking over. But the I, I try to avoid. How, how funny that a cartel is taking over Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to go But there. press is really good. I definitely recommend it. Lux. And Lux. Lux is pretty awesome. They, uh, yeah, we, we tried to hit them up when we were there. They're very hard to find. They look like they're closed down. They're very... Oh. There's a few locations. Are they? Yeah. Oh. yeah. I think there's two, maybe three. Lux is good. We kind of skipped over you because you were exposed. Oh, that's fine. That's so fine. now it's your turn again. Uh, I think I have a two-part question. Okay. Um, so, do you like Mingus Mountain better than any being it anywhere in Sedona? Yes, by and large. Um, Sedona would be great if there was no people there. Mm. Is that the yeah. reason you're drawn here instead of there? Yes. Um, um, and also Sedona, uh, you know, I, I, it feels a little bit strange and a little bit fake in some. Yeah. In some aspects. So if you could take all the people away from the landscape, what would draw you more? Well, probably in that case, that's a tough call. <laughs> because the geology of both is intensely interesting. Intensely, yes. Um, I'm going to go with neither and say probably it would still be the place that draws me most, either the know, is the area around House Mountain. Hmm. Because uh, House Mountain is just such a weird, fun geological feature, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I actually have been to the old Echo Canyon Vineyard site now, and that's actually my dream vineyard site. Like, honest to God, if I found investors or won the lottery tomorrow, that is where I would buy. That's a hard place not to be drawn to. Like, if you like off the beaten path kind yeah. of thing, that's a and I do. I mean, you know, I'll yeah. <clears throat> You know, That's a beautiful Whether story. I would grow there or just keep it to myself and donate yeah. it to the church to make a monastery there, I don't right, know. But right, right. That, that would be, you know, if I had, this is an, not a question that we asked, but like if someone gave me, you know, $4 million and said, buy a vineyard, where would you do it? I would be the old Echo Canyon site. Yeah. Yes, it's a difficult site to work with. Yes, it's difficult to get to, but the geology there is fantastic. Yeah. You can look there and see, you know, almost 270 million years of geologic history right there on the walls of that vineyard. Right there. Uh, and so it's a very evocative uh, vineyard site, a very evocative site geologically. And, and the old Sedonatage vintage from uh, Echo, I really liked because it was one of the most geologically evocative wines I'd ever tasted. Uh, hmm. <coughs> I could literally taste every layer of the rock hmm. and every layer of geologic history that was in that vineyard and that wine, and I loved that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I guess that would qualify more as the Sedona area. Then. Yeah, yeah. So there we have it, I guess, yeah. in that aspect. Uh, I'm more driven to Sedona than Mingus, despite the, the fact that I think that Sedona would be great if there was no more people living. Right, or, right, know, right. If all of the, dare I say, crazy, wicked, New Agers... I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, go ahead. You know, <laughs> would, 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 <laughs> disappear. Vortex. <laughs> well, I, I like to, to point out that the main difference, you know, when people come into Jerome and say, oh, what's your opinion of Sedona versus Jerome? Is like, in Sedona, if you're walking down the street with your head down, you'll be people, approached by people like going like, oh my god, your aura is so out of alignment right now. Like, I can do a quick chakra realignment for you for like nine easy payments and $99. Oh my god. And then Jerome's like, you look kind of sad here. Have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Far 
two of the questions. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, I was, I was assuming your answer might be Mingus, but if it's not... But, well, that, but, I do love Mingus so a lot. So you spend time there. I do spend a lot more time in, on Mingus Mountain than I do in Sedona. What, where do you like to go on Mingus? Uh, I like to go and take that drive up to Mingus Lake, Lake and Lake. sit on the very top. Mm. Um, I like to just drive that whole drive in yeah. general. And then there's also a really cool spot uh, on the far side of Mountain towards Prescott where uh, you can literally see the progression of rocks and see where the deep sea becomes the beach, becomes the island. Yeah. Uh, the old ancient island art from the Precambrian there. Yeah. The Great Unconformity is there. And, yeah. Which uh, I love the Great Unconformity. It's this really interesting space of time where so much time is missing yeah. in the rock rock record. Right. And so to me, it's a very evocative of the things that we've missed in our own lives. Yeah. Where here, this layer between this Precambrian island arc and the Tapit sandstone, which is you know almost a billion years younger than that layer of rock. Right. It's like, what happened in that spot? <laughs> what was there? What is missing? What, what have we missed in our own lives that should have been so painfully obvious yeah. that, that we yeah. just glazed over? Right, right. Yeah. Case in point, the, the, the current girlfriend and I, we had crushes on each other for the better part of six months, and we were throwing kids at each other left and right. None of us even noticed until, like, one of us decided to be freaking overly blunt, and it's just like, oh, wait. I was well, like, wait, how did I miss all these hints beforehand? I was there too. Wait, how did you miss all of my hints? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, again, so that's one thing that I do like about Mingus that is missing in Sedona is this, yeah. this gap in time that makes you think of the nature of time and life and, and general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> I agree. Jason, your turn for, well, I guess this will be the final round because yeah, you're almost got 49 minutes. Oh, there's, uh, I mean, we hit so many topics, it's, it's hard to, to nail this one down. If, if you could pick, um, how old are you? 31. If you could pick a time in your life and you had to be that age for the rest of your life, how old would you be and why? That's a good question, too. Mm -hmm. Not a teenager again, ever, for the love of God. The, those years were horrible for me. Not anything younger than that, because by and large... Calvin missed this question. I'm sorry. you got to get caught up Jason, on the question. Jason, you want to read it? Sure, I'll, re I'll re ask the question. Um, you're 31 years old. If you could pick an age uh, any time during your life that you had to be for the rest of your life, uh, what age would that be? Wow. And why? Definitely not high school, definitely not younger than high school, because... Both of those sets of time are very difficult for me. Being a super geeky nerd, um, when I grew up... High school sucked? High school sucked. Yeah. Grade school sucked. Everything of that nature right. sucked. Right. Because, you know, nowadays it's kind of cool or okay to be a nerd, but it's like, you know, I feel like... Uh, Back then, though. I'm just going to building to you think you're doing this just because you're not cool. Yeah. The whole Bane voice thing. Um, lower 20s sucked. Honestly, I would say right now I feel like I'm in my prime. I feel like a good I, I'm honestly terrified that this is the best it's going to get. You know, I'm, I'm healthy more or less. I have a career that I love. I'm part of an industry that I adore. Yeah. Yes, I may also, not only am I in the industry, but I'm also like, you know, someone once jokingly said that if you're fan, if you had a fan, then it would be the Arizona wine industry. Yeah. It's like, so what? Am I going as like a winemaker for Comic Con or something? I don't know. But mm. um, yeah, I, I have you know, I, I have my shit put together. Right. Yeah. 
which is kind of terrifying because I still honestly wake up some mornings like waiting for like, okay, is the other shoe going to drop? <laughs> right. Because it's like, shit, I have my, my life game and what the fuck is going to happen next? Oh God, how am I going to fuck it this up now? Yeah. And somehow so far I feel like I haven't and I feel like it's okay, I have my life together. And so honestly, 30 to 31 is the answer. So right now. Good answer. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you. That's a great place to be. Yeah. Just yeah, as a person. It really is. That's a, that's a great place to be. That's such a good question. I that is a good yeah. question. Thank you. Oh, you're looking at me like you want a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Pair, not a movie, but a film. Okay. A film and a bottle of wine. Um, depends on the film, depends on the wine. Well, Throw out a couple films at me. I want a springtime evening, <laughs> outside viewing, uh, with a uh, charcuterie plate, charcuterie and cheese. Okay. And that that's the setting. 75 degrees, Arizona, Mingus Mountain, stars up. Yeah, no, no moon, all stars. Yeah, all stars. <laughs> and you, you have a pop-up screen and a projector. You're watching, you get to pick the film. Yeah. You pick the bottle of wine. I think a film would ruin that. I do. I, I, I agree. I do like, too. I know. I started throwing it out. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to watch it. I want to watch this. Anything yeah. <laughs> else? So the film, well, in that case, it would have to be Tree of Life because it would have, yeah. it has a dramatic, it's actually a very great, orchestral soundtrack. It's a great, so that one's great. Answer. That's the first film that comes to mind that wouldn't completely, utterly fuck up that setting. Okay. Well, well <laughs> let me back it up. So, so, so planning an evening, do you do the wine around the film or the film around the wine? <laughs> That's a very good question, and actually, I've, I've given this some thought because I thought it would be a very interesting approach. Um, the the Wilcox um, movie theater with this idea of mm-hmm. a film and wine pairing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. The idea of like here's a classic film, or here's a, a film, here's a local wine to pair with it. But I don't know that you could do that, and if they have a liquor license and the liquor licensing yeah. and how that would be. And yeah. So that's why uh, you know kind of stop myself from thinking about this much further than, boy, that would be a great idea. Um, but if I was going to do that, and to completely change the, 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 the setting, uh, I'm thinking Casablanca okay. at the Wilcox Theater. Um, you know, here's looking at you, kid, that sort of thing. I want a classic, old world style blend. Um, Italy or France? Um, well, again, I'm thinking locally here, so honestly, uh, uh, let's go with, um, well, if I wasn't doing local, I would do a Barolo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A Barolo with Casablanca, totally. You know, it's a dark movie, it's a classic movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barolo is a dark, classic one with a long history that lends itself to brooding thought. While you're sitting, staring at it in the decanter for three hours. Right, right, right. Um, but there really isn't a Nebbiolo equivalent to that in Arizona. No. Uh, the closest would be the Canelo Hills Nebbiolo from 2009, which actually struck me as very similar to a Barolo. Case in point, we paired that actually with Silence of the Lambs. And we originally tried to fry liver with it, but the liver was horrible, goat liver specifically, mm-hmm. uh, to specify because I need to, because it's Silence of the Lambs. 
<laughs> so we ended up with corn dogs and french fries instead of liver because we decided the liver was just Sounds bad. like a meal sacrifice. Um, but I, I like the idea of a Barolo with Casablanca, but there really isn't an Arizona equivalent to a Barolo. Because Nebbiolo doesn't really get that way out here. It likes light, to be light here, unless Janet. Third part of the question, and then, I'll, and then I'm done. I won't go anywhere else with this. But uh, being an admitted Wes Anderson fan, what would you consider a Wes Anderson wine? Well, I feel like I didn't fully answer the, the first part of that question yet. Um, because we're still sticking. I'm trying to pair vocal. Um, the closest thing I can think of that has that equivalent um, would either be the Kitsune, because it's Brunello style, so at least it's got that classic Italian feel of darkness and broodiness and tannicness. Right. Um, actually, yeah, I would pair with the, the Kitsune. Kitsune. Casablanca? Casablanca and the Kitsune. Wow. Okay. Uh, Maynard, if you're listening to this, uh, uh, go ahead and steal my idea. Just, just let me be there for it. Um, <laughs> If you're not listening, then whatever. Um, uh, apparently, he's pretty social media savvy, so I'm, I know he knows of me. But whether he actually agrees or thinks I'm up to anything good, I have no idea. And don't really care. Um, I'm doing my own thing. And we're probably going to edit that whole segment out. Except for the, if you want to steal my idea, go ahead. Um, Wes Anderson wants something weird, something quirky. Um, but I'm also thinking about, you know, pronounced color. Sharp lines, you know. So, I mean, but I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't want to steal your answer. Sharp <laughs> colors, sharp lines. Well, in terms of character, Malvasia. Mm, that you. is a very Wes Anderson wine. The way it manifests itself here, it's bright, it's colorful, it's aromatic. It's it makes itself known. It is not a wine that is subtle here in Arizona. It's, it's like there. I am Malvasia. Yeah. If you don't like me, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like Wes Anderson's films are are a little bit like that, but also very quirky. Malvasia does have a little bit of a quirky character because it's and manifests itself out here very differently from anywhere else in the yeah. world. Um, in terms of color, though, Malvasia doesn't really have that. Um, I'm thinking Sangiovese also does have a very bright color, but it's not a, a quirky wine, really. Sangiovese is, is a very friendly wine. It's not quirky. It's a wine that's very familiar for me, anyway. So, Tanat. Tanat in Arizona is very interesting, very dynamic, very flavorful. Um, it's not like it's French Brethren, it's its own thing, but it's still almost as canic as it's French Brethren. But it's not like those South Acts, uh, sorry, South American Tanats, which mm. honestly I don't really dig. Mm. If I had been introduced to Tanat first via South, South America, I Maybe would have, you wouldn't have gone that way. I would have thrown it out yeah. entirely. It's like, That's good what point. the hell is this? Yeah. Um, National Grave Uruguay, okay, if you say so. But having been introduced to not first through Arizona and France, I dig that style. And Arizona's definitely doing its own thing. Yes, it's French in some ways, yes, it's South American in other ways, but it's its own dynamic thing. It's got that really rich, vibrant color. Right. Even the lightest knot, uh, which was the 2011 or 2010, uh, back when we were still stage shop vineyards done by Page Springs, has this beautiful, vibrant color. It's very saturated, like Wes Anderson films. Right. So I would say in terms of Arizona wines and Arizona grapes, either Malvasia or Tanat, or you know, if I was doing a wine and meal pairing, okay, Grand Budapest Hotel with the meal that's done in the film. <laughs> right. Right. Starting with a Malvasia, 
continuing on with um, Tanakh, again, the Capra Tanakh, or Caligans. Mm. That's, yeah. Uh, for, for some reason, and this, this is your question, your answer, and I can't explain it quite as well, but to me, when I think about an Arizona Wes Anderson wine, I think about Kent Caligans Grenache. Mm. I could see that too. I, I could see that too very much, actually. Um, or or his Graciano would work too. I think because I mean when I think about his I think about straight lines. But yeah, yeah it's very very much like that. Yeah. So, yeah, Ken Ken would be the other choice for for that. I think anything of Kent's reds, uh, the Benis the Buena Suerte would be another great example of that. Very straight edged. Um, with Sanderson in. Um, so let's do. Uh, Let's do not the San Reckoner Maldicillo. Because the San Reckoner Maldicillo is very rounded. It is, yeah. Um, honestly, I would go with either the Hidden Hand Maldicillo. I'm not just saying that because you're here, but as a Maldicillo goes, it, it does have a more defined characteristic. Mm -hmm. um, or... Or... Um, brain skipping. There was another Maldicia I had a while back that was very straight-edged. It's totally blanking my mind. This is terrible. Okay, fine. 33 degrees Maldicia. <laughs> um, for your opener. There we go. Um, I would do the Kent Calligan to not. Okay. Um, or the Buena Suerte. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for dessert wine, I would probably go with the Sweet Willow Sauvage Blanc because Saval so Blanc, most people associate it with being very American. Oh, it's American hybrid. Oh, it's got these foxy characters. Oh, it's got this. Oh, it's got that because it's an American hybrid. And it, it, it doesn't have all those characteristics. Characteristics. Like, we write them poem. Yeah. Or as the girlfriend would say, you're hardly speaking proper English. Um, she's very proper and very British, um, which is wonderful and hilarious. And I love her very, very much. <laughs> And she's listening to this now, probably going. <sighs> <laughs> she forgives you, I'm sure. Oh, oh, of course, because I'm bringing wine with me back east for her um, to drink. Um, anyway, I would close it off uh, with the sweet willow or the chateau. Better yet, the chateau tumbleweed, um, new, re newly released Saval dessert wine, which I think would be even better. Because Saval Blanc in Arizona doesn't, for some reason, have all these characteristics that most people, when I talk to, Saval, talk to them about Saval Blanc, instantly leap to, oh, it's hybrid, oh, it has a foxy character. It's there, but it's barely noticeable. It adds a complexity to the mid-tile. It's not something overt. Um, oh, it's never going to be light and citrusy. There it is! Mm -hmm. That's light and citrusy. Go figure. Yeah. So it's a very unsubtle blanc like subtle blanc. And, and Wes Anderson, and so it's very quirky, and therefore that would be your final pairing for the Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Um, again, taking Grand Budapest Hotel as, as that, or or the Royal Tenenbaums, or the Life of Clock, right. would be one of the three ones that I would pair with this. <laughs> right, right. Um, I guess that's a, a good final closer, unless anyone else has anything that they're desperate and desiring to, for me to ask or to answer, I guess, is the proper no, question. Let's get closer. There we go. All right, guys. Uh, this has been the Stream of Consciousness.
<laughs> this has been your stream of consciousness with Cody Vladimir Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. Tune in next time for whatever the fuck we do next. <laughs> okay, good night, guys. We're good again. And now we're going to drink and, and probably scratch up food somehow, somewhere. On that note, okay. Thank you all very much again for joining us. Of course, man.